0: Welcome to Culture Crawl HX Podcast. I'm your
1: co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. Because this is June, right, it's also Pride Month. And so my company is um, hosting a series of web-based conversations with different, different organizations from an employee resource group perspective. And um, the, the topic that we will... Well, actually, this is, and this is why I wanted to have this conversation. Inside of my company, we do not have the environment comfortable enough for people who self-identify both as being a member of the LGBT plus community, as well as being uh, a, a member of the Black community, such that they would actively raise their hand to join a discussion about intersection between our two ERGs, right? Because there's a um, LGBT plus ERG, and there's then the you know Black Employee Network ERG. We're going to have a conversation, and I'll be representing the Black Employee Network, but primarily because I was not able to, and you know what I mean like I was not able to. No, I was not able to interact with anyone who was willing to self-identify inside of our organization, and and. To me, that's a problem because for two reasons. One is I know that we have people who self-identify as being a part of the LGBT plus community and are black, but, and I know that they know me, but I also know that they have not told me themselves, right, that they self-identify. And so I think, that the conversation around black and gay from an intersectional perspective is tough, right? Because one, we know we're black and we see what, what's going on in the news. And then two, at least professionally, um, what, and this is, this is where it comes, if you're already black and specifically in tech, why would you raise your hand and say, oh, by the way, I also self identify as this other protected minority group that you are likely going to discriminate against me on because I've, I've chosen to self-identify. Um, and so even when we talk about inclusion, diversity, equity, et cetera, there's also this growing discussion of comfort with authenticity. but But, but asking a person to be authentic in a historical space where where that authenticity has been met with violence is an unfair ask unless the space is extremely safe and i think right now what we're learning right is that our space as black people is not safe nor is the space for black people who self-identify especially if you're self-identifying right now is like trans, right? We've seen in the news plenty of uh, trans men and women being attacked, murdered, harassed um, with little to no fanfare. Uh, And it's almost like a hidden experience for the group. Um, And so, you know, while we're talking about Black Lives Matter, and while we're talking about structural inequality uh, at the same time, we just had three Supreme Court justices vote against equality from a self-identity perspective. Right. And I think um uh they all of those things are wrapped into themselves. And then we start talking about not only and I'm um, feel free to jump in, but um, not only the intersection of what it means to be the person attacked, but also the intersection of what it means to be the perpetrator, because certainly in the black community, right? And, and quote, unquote, black community, depending, depending on how you feel about that, homophobia is rampant, right? And it's, it's justified and taught in our churches. So anyone who is, considers themselves uh, I, I mean, I don't know if churches new are, are more inclusive, but I know my church was as anti-gay as you could be, right? It was, we had sermons about how you're not supposed to be gay. Uh, uh, I'm sure that we've heard about how you pray for those people, right? There's, there's this split of other, this otherness inside of our community, where so on the one hand, we're fighting for the right to vote, the right, fighting for the right to be seen. But on the other hand, we are also a part of the group restricting rights, um, or, or not even rights, just the right to be whoever the hell you want to be. So, um, so I think many times you know, the, the concept of who the victim is, is arbitrary because we are, well one, we're not all perfect, But two, our cultures allow for hatred uh, as long as it's justified in some form or fashion. So, you know, I think it's an interesting discussion, especially now, right, as we're talking about Black Lives Matter in the middle of Pride Month. Because I haven't seen much marketing coming from the organizations about the visibility, right, of the LGBT plus community. but if, if, if it weren't for coronavirus and it weren't for the heavy media attention, then we would all be in a celebratory state right now, right? Everybody would be partying, especially if, if, uh, if the Supreme Court decision had came out, like we would be in the streets putting in work. Um, but, but because of where we are instead, it's an opportunity for us to probably consider how we actually feel about what freedom, fairness, equity and equality actually mean both generically in society but also specifically in our personal and professional lives. So that's my opening.
0: (laughs) And what I would say to that is to go back on, on one of the first points just around the challenges with people being willing to be honest with their coworkers or their colleagues, um, and that goes back to the culture that we see in corporate America, but also the the culture that we see in our society, where we are, where we teach individuals uh, to not be as honest, especially if your honesty. Is going to make someone else feel uncomfortable, um, and I think that's where the the challenge comes from. Individual, and mind you, I'm just speaking based on you know my own experiences And what I see is that if you don't provide a safe, open environment, well, that person is not going to hundred is not going to hundred percent be themselves. And that's whether we're talking about the LGBTQIA community, whether we're talking um, about uh, code switching, uh, whether we're talking about being an introvert versus an extrovert, you can really break it down into different buckets. But overall, it comes back to that to that space, or that sense of feeling comfortable, being that you can be yourself, um, being included, right? And then that goes back into diversity, and equity, inclusion. Is that yeah? You can have a whole bunch of diverse people here, but if none of us feel included in the conversations and the initiatives, if we don't feel welcome, well then we're not going to be our true selves. And then that even dives deeper into the black community specifically, you know, so I'm black. so I'm talking about the black community in this regard is that, and mind you, I'm Jamaican, so I'm also going to say that I'm Jamaican, uh, where in Jamaica, they kill people for being homosexual. Um, my sister was uh, homosexual or bisexual through a, a long period um, of of our lives growing up together. And she is uh, now, well, to backtrack for a long period of her time, she was not accepted by my family. And mind you, this was a uh, a time in my life where I was still young, and I'm still going through my spirituality. But even at a young age, i was my my response to that was, she's still my sister though. Like, it, it was It was always going back to I, I didn't really. Um, worry or focus about what she was doing, per se, because I always had a love for her, right? Even, even when we were fighting, right? You know, just being brothers and sisters, but I still have a love for her. But then when I look at how my dad and my grandparents completely shunned my sister during the time when she was a bisexual or, or um, homosexual, they completely, in, for a lack of a better word, just disowned her. Um, but then now as she's older, now she's, you know, 30 years old, it's a different relationship, but then that still goes back to feeling safe, right? That still goes back to you being able to be your authentic self in a safe environment. And in a black community, we don't have, you know, not all the time, but we don't have a safe environment in our homes. So then now we go to corporate America where we put on this shell where we can't be our true selves and a lot of people tend to hide how they really feel or what they really want or what, whatever the case may be in different settings. Um, so th- th- that's kind of what I see as, as one of the main challenges is that hey, you know, we need to create a, a real diverse equity and inclusive um, space for individuals in order to be them true selves so then we can have honest conversations about whether someone is a transgender, whether someone is heterosexual or homosexual, whether someone um, supports or, or don't support certain things. Um, but we we're not in a society where we can actually have those types of rural, authentic conversations. And that's one of the reasons why we even started Culture Crawl ATX, right?
2: And I would say, um, leading off of that, uh for me, um, I think what I'm hearing from both, um, from both uh you, Michael, and um and Donald is like um at court it's all about intersectionality and of course competence, uh specifically cultural competence, um, and having ways to um not only be aware of one's own cultural worldview, but the attitude towards cultural differences, the knowledge of different cultural practices and worldviews, and cross-cultural skills, and understanding that uh, within the queer and Black community, there are intersections. um, That when we talk about the queer, trans, people of color community, um, that we do have an understanding that that they experience marginalization Marginalization at an intersection of like racism, ethocentrism, xenophobia, transphobia, um, and various other isms and phobias, Um, and they experience higher rates of homelessness, poverty, and violence. Um, And so, you know, recognizing that um, in our communities, within the Black community, um, we do have our own shortfalls, that there is anti-Blackness, there are There is homophobia, there is trans and there's other things, and not only in the Black community, but in any racialized community. Um, But currently with everything going on, it puts a spotlight on those inequities and disparities um, within our community that uh, we can fix. Um, and with the spotlight on Black Lives Matter and All Black Lives Matter, um, we're seeing more and more unity day to day. We're seeing more uh, people become allies and take the streets to become protesters. Um, for me, um, I'm an Afro, queer, black, Christian, non-binary um, person. Um, so for me, just to see all these people coming together um, is a beautiful thing. Um, and a lot of times it is hard to have those conversations about um, what goes on in our communities um, because you know sometimes we like to only discuss, okay, this is what black people are going through, but what about our um, black trans women and our black queer uh, our black trans men and women and our other uh, queer and LGBTQ people um, when it does come to like economic insecurity, violence and harassment um, HIV and health inequity, um, religious intolerance, and various other things that come into play when being an LGBTQ person within the Black community. And that's seeing that intersection um, be validated, uh, essentially, to ensure that um, our voices are being amplified and uplifted and heard, um, as well as our peers and colleagues. Um, Because it is difficult um, as an Afro queer um, individual to go into groups that are Black Lives Matter focused or do have Black um, and Brown bodies leading the movement, um, but there's a lack thereof of queer and trans or LGBTQ-affiliated people um, on those boards and teams. Um, and it, it kind of gets discour- discouraging, also, because you uh, because you think if something were to happen to me, would they would they rally? for me, knowing that I was Afroqueer. And that comes into question as well um, about like, is my, is the culture that I'm a part of, the LGBTQ culture, um, is that being highlighted and spotlighted as well? Um, and as we see continuously when it does come to these issues that there's always like an erasure um, or a dismissiveness. I hope that's a word. Um, of their voices, of queer, trans, and black people voices, and just making sure like those are uplifted. And that when we do talk about these intersecting parts um, of a person's identity, um, whether whatever culture uh, they, they come from, or ethnicity, race, um, sexual orientation, and everything else um, in between, um, it's always good to highlight who they are and their being and acknowledge. Um, their identities and make sure they're uplifted and that they do have a seat at the table to talk about these issues, um, and to find solutions towards these issues. Um, because, um, like anyone, we all come in with our own biases and our own prejudices. Um, what, when, what, whichever group we come into, um, and sometimes we need other people to help identify those prejudices and biases and be and alleviate them or stop them at the door. Um, So that way they can be more fluid um, conversation about um, issues like police brutality, uh, socioeconomic um, injustice, um, digital inequities um, in relation to what's going on now with COVID-19 and students, um, that digital digital inequity um, and having those conversations and uh, finding set solutions.
0: So then I have a question and, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. Um, so I definitely do agree that it's a uh, a disconnect with without looking at the intersectionality and interconnectedness between um, various groups. Uh, but when we think about the the viewpoints of what people have on the LGBTQIA um, community being you know quote unquote wrong. Do you think that comes from a spiritual focus? Do you think that comes more so from a Black community focus and the uh, division between African American versus African versus Caribbean? Uh, what are y'all thoughts on to the the motivating factors that makes it more difficult for the LGBTQIA community?
2: Well, I would. I would definitely say, like, um, it's about, I I would say, communication um, and also that sense of uh, community and collaboration, Um, because sometimes we do have organizations or businesses um, that do not want to collaborate or want to have those voices heard. Um, And as you were saying before, Michael, about that mask of diversity that does hide um, behind it, um, a lot of ra- racism, uh, structures of racism, um, and probably um, homophobia and other things. Um, it's like, how can we disrupt those structures that are embedded in those organizations and businesses? Um, and as I was telling some of my other friends before, sometimes um, if you're a part of something or if you're in your community and you see um, these inequities and these um, these structures of racism and homophobia and other phobias and isms. Um, Sometimes you just have to create your own table and bring those people aboard with you um, to get those issues solved um, and to identify the issues in your community and approach and address them um, with your team of people. Um, And your community can be anybody. It can be teachers, professors, your friends, your colleagues, your family, um, because as long as you have that support system, you can make your way anywhere. So I would say um, that division runs really deep because um, between with the LGBTQ community, um, we also have strife. Um, A lot of times it's uh, our trauma and our transgressions do get dismissed um, because, you know, they just do. Um, And it's saddening to see, um, especially with um, other uh, black individuals or black groups, um, that don't um, sit down to recognize said trauma and trans- transgressions. Um, so I would say for me, a solution for that would definitely be collaborative work, or seeing more people take on, take the mantle, and uh, take the challenge of creating their own table and inviting people to, to inviting people to that table where it is inclusive and equitable, and making sure like everyone's perspective and voice is being heard.
1: yeah i think um i think it's a broad broad discussion right but i'll i'll drop in two small points one is what we're taught and who's teaching us so um for example i have i have three boys uh and and as i've paid more attention to young children i recognize that when children are children, depending on who their parent is, one, and depending on the community that that child is being raised in, two, that child may or may not be free to be who they are, right? Like, I- I've known um, a little girl since, what, she's in kindergarten? No child in kindergarten is talking about sex and sexuality, sexual identity, et cetera, et etc., right? But... This little girl liked wearing shorts. She wore her hair in a way that was short. Uh, She wore her cap backwards. She wore sneakers and she played football. You know what I mean? Like this is kindergarten. This is what she wants to do. Fine. Um, But I only recognize that as an adult right now. Right? As When I think of who I was growing up, what I was taught is that that's a choice that that person at some point decided that they wanted to blank, right? Um, And I remember in third grade, we used to harass this gay dude, Uh, but but you know what? And it's (laughs) what I'm about to say is fucked up, but he was our friend, but we also used to fuck with him. And like, it's a rude, obnoxious thing but it's also a function of whether or not we were concerned that if he told that we would get in trouble and i think some of that also goes into this concept of bullying but i digress um, but then there's also the structural societal conversation right like the uh, um, we are not teaching well let me see how do i say this i didn't know that that homosexuality was actually considered a mental health disease in the, the DSM. You know what I mean? Like you could actually be taken to the hospital, put on medication and need a, a, a an intervention legally because you would self if you were to self identify as having a mental illness, you know what I mean? So, so, if you think about that as a culture, uh, then the people who were raised believing that being queer is a mental illness, they would t- not only have they internalized that for themselves and how they treat others, but their concept of their child, right, is one that then instills this. this um, I think we're gonna have a chat at some point about hypermasculinity right? But, but the topic would be, where does that come from? It comes from an adult pushing onto a child this social construct that is toxic, one, but two, also detrimental to the person. And then it, it basically, you know, deteriorates our entire ability to just let people live. Um, so I don't know that it's necessarily uh, religious and spiritual, so much as it's cultural and societal because what we believe to be correct is a function of what we've been told you know like i can't imagine so and i bring it back to the children the children don't discriminate right as as long as i don't teach my child to discriminate against this girl who dresses like quote unquote dresses like a boy right she can do whatever she wants to do And she may choose, she don't want to be called she soon. You know what I mean? But that's a different, that's a different conversation that people are having right now, but only some people are having. And it's the same way we talk about um, uh, this concept of racial hatred, right? Children aren't, everybody knows, right? Children love children, period. Not until adults start separating them, either physically or in the conversation or in our cultural um, consumption of, uh, of course, religion, but also books, media, music, and the words that we use. Um, we cr- create these divisions in the children, and, and we root it in them, and it starts so young. But I don't think that that people, how do I say this? The people who know that are out are outweighed by the societal structure that exists, that enables all the isms, phobias, and and blanket bigotry to be okay, right? Like there's no, from what I can tell, there's no real societal impact to your person if you are a bigot. (laughs) Whether you be white, black, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, You can be whatever you wanna be, Uh, But if you're a bigot, there's no real societal um, consequence because there's somebody out there who can say, it's okay for you to be like that. It's okay for you to believe your own beliefs. But the question is, where did your own belief come from? Somebody taught it to you because otherwise, if we were all just people, people are people, why are we deciding to hate somebody? You know what I mean? That, that decision comes from the, one, whatever you're taught, but two, also the inability to manage conflict, right? And then, there, then you bring in the concept of politics and, and group conflict, um, and, and you get this space now where uh, people are free to believe that it's okay to hate another person. And why is that okay? Nobody, you know, no one really wants to discuss why others believe that it's okay for somebody to hate someone, you know. And then, and then that hate turn into uh, uh, disenfranchisement, death for many people, uh, the inability to just live their life how they want to live their life. Uh, so, I mean, it's definitely complex. And, and I think it starts structurally, like everything else.
0: Yeah. And as you say that, I just think about, you know, having privilege and as we have privilege, I'm saying we just in general, whoever has privilege, um, you, you then now want to control and dictate what other people can and cannot do because of the privilege that you have. Uh, and personally, I do, you know, challenge with myself, between, like, you know, what is someone doing that doesn't impact you at all versus what someone does that does impact you? Like, where do you draw the line from a societal um, government or governance standpoint? are like, how much should we impose on personal uh, decisions versus larger scale decisions that have more of an impact on other people? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and I'll even say, you know, um, the concept of um, scarcity, right? To your point, people who are privileged are only privileged as a function of what they have versus what someone else does not. Because if we all had an abundance, then we would really be minding our own business. but because of this concept of lack, right? And this concept of, I need what you have, or I can't allow you to expand your rights because it may infringe upon my rights, as opposed to, we all have rights. Why is there something that that you're doing that bothers me if it's not really bothering me, right? It's just bothering what I believe bothers me.
0: So then, so, so now I'm thinking through the, the different challenges and issues I've heard over the years around the LGBTQIA community. And one that does come up to mind, you think about privilege, is individuals that are transgender that went from being a man to now identifying as a woman. Um, but then they now want to participate in, uh, in women's sports. So, I, that to me is a very difficult conversation because now it goes into biology and how certain individuals or sexes are stronger overall on this general you know, scheme of things. But then now, because of individuals that are are transgender now they're making that switch into sports now how do you regulate that how do you still protect the rights of those that are transgender but then also making sure that you're being uh, that you are being just for those that that are not transgender inside this space how do you still keep that balance, given the fact that it, that now the guidelines and parameters are changing?
1: I I have an answer to that one. I mean, I have an opinion, but um, but I want to know. Grant, do you have a an opinion?
2: I'm um, going back to what you were saying about how um, you know recognizing. Um, how we're taught and how we're raised uh, plays a big part in it. Um, For me, my father, he's a bishop. Uh, My mother, of course, First Lady. Um, And I grew up in, and I'm still in a God-fearing home um, with family and friends um, who are very religious. Um, But I would say growing up, I had the privilege and opportunity not to have to be sheltered out because of my queerness. Um, because when coming out, of course, my father was like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> and through that, when me, him and I had a conversation, like a deep, intimate conversation about my identity, what, who I thought I was, um, and how, in the experience I, and the experience I, I, uh, that I had um, during the time. And through that, my father did the unthinkable which I don't think a lot of preachers or pastors or bishops would do but he went to a congregation and told them like this is this is environment of church we're non-denominational um and that we're open to everybody no matter their sexual orientation um no matter their race or in various things like that and just seeing that at a young age and having that support system from my god you know my god-fearing family um into who I am today as a Christian afro-queer being um, just sheds light that, you know, there is room um, for people to learn about, um, not learn, but there's room for people to um, understand that from a young age, you can be affected in various ways um, from what you're taught. Because if I was kicked out my house um, because I had this newfound identity, um, where would I go? Where would I be? Who, who would I be uh, now? Um, or being scolded uh, instead of having that, uh, what do you call it, that loving component to it, um, where my father was like, look, I love you, so we can figure this out instead of, okay, you're queer, get out my house. Um, and I say that I have privilege because there's a lot of other, um, you know, youth that have been pushed out their homes um, that, that fell into drug abuse or um, fell into abuse in general. Um, due to them coming out the closet or have dealt with um, trauma and different transgressions uh, with such, especially in the same structure as my household was. Um, And seeing the way that I grew up um, and understanding, like, um, the way I was introduced to um, the LGBTQ community and uh, what that looked like going into high school was very different from my... The majority of my friends and peers, um, who had to deal with that um, that that uh, that setback from telling their parents they're queer or um, they want to be an ally of the LGBTQ community, um, some of them would get punished. Some of them would be getting kicked out um, or you know left out the conversation. You know, various things that families do um, to punish or to um, to show a lack of support for their children um, that are in the LGBTQ community. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's very interesting when we identify like that development from our childhood and whether we internalized any trauma or if we faced any microaggressions that may play a part in how we are inclusive or exclusive or how we're equitable and not inequitable or how we're inequitable and not equitable in a sense, Um, and so just identifying those parts and looking at the community also. um, How does the community um, support LGBTQ voices, uh, especially in racialized communities? Um, How are we making sure that queer and trans um, people's voices are uplifted, Um, as well as identifying issues of inequity or any disparities that may set challenges uh, for said queer and trans people? Um, and yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, especially from, you know, like you said, if, if your experience were different, your life would be different. And that's exactly correct. Right. And, and so how you are protected in your home or how you are not protected in your home, uh, will make a huge difference in your in your life's path i'm a, I'm a tangent right quick um, we got a uh a survey from the school district which was primarily asking about the ability for us to support remote and distance learning and whether or not i had enough computers if i worked from home um would i be okay if the kids needed to alternate weeks could i handle that right could my family structure handle that and In reading the questions and all of the answers, I recognize how blessed I am. But then in in different conversations that I've been having relative to some of this volunteering, the question, and and then at the very end they ask, is there anything else you're considering? And what I wrote in is, what are we doing for the students in abusive households? Because while yes, it's important to focus on the internet and the ability to uh, uh, concentrate on work, that is less important than what's happening inside people's homes as a function of what our society will be coming out of this because the school is a community, it's the foundation of the community. So while um, it may not necessarily be their written responsibility to ensure that students in abusive households are safe, and abusive households are safe, in some form or fashion it has to be because it's going to have a, a very significant effect on how these children find themselves when they are 11 right 15 20 and then 60 um that's a tangent um on this topic though of sports that's a good one uh because i've i've had a number of debates about how you make those sports fair and the question is why are sports so important right Why you know i mean like these are people they want to um uh, compete how they feel, we have created this binary construct of male versus female, right? Uh, uh, and yes, there is this concept of testosterone as a function of sex organ, true. But you could just have a sport where, based on round robin or, um, what do you call uh, 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 uh well, no, you Josh strong Right, tournament to determine which group you're supposed to wrestle with. You could go by weight, muscle mass, how much are you benching? You know what I mean? Like the question is can I beat Sabrina Williams in a tennis match just because I'm a man? The answer nah. to that nah. is no. Nope. <laughs> nope, nope. So, so when we start getting into okay, what about high school sports? Okay, cool, but we have soccer when the kids are playing soccer in their three. Everybody is playing together. There are no boys' sports, girls' sports. But and one of the questions I asked actually here in uh, town, especially related to, and this is very specific, but it's because I asked, why did we decide that girls should play softball? You know what I mean? Like we let them play T ball. There's no there's no soft T ball. They learn how to swing a bat. They swing it from a tee. When did we decide that girls right, should play softball and boys should play baseball. We chose that. Or we could just have a a sporting event where people like to compete and the competitors win. Now, okay, there might be a lot of dudes that are way better than a lot of women. Fine. But then that team would naturally be what it is. But our teams then would probably be more about who you like being around and what you're about rather than if you're the biggest, fastest, strongest, because now what we have, especially from a sporting perspective, right, is so much drug abuse. And that's probably a different topic. Um, I think we talked about it actually, Uh, but, (laughs) but, um, but the fact that we have sports where people are drugging themselves in order to enhance their capabilities is a function of us placing restrictions on the sport itself right from a competitive perspective or we just say let people compete and if you're good keep doing it and if you get your ass whooped uh go sit down or keep doing it um but i I think where where people come into the conversation is the assumption that we have to have gender-based sports as opposed to an opportunity
0: for people to compete. Yeah, no, you bring up a very interesting point about not necessarily looking at the, the question at hand, but looking at why are you even asking that question, right? And then kind of go back from that standpoint, because then we'll actually get to break down our history and why certain decisions were made or why certain decisions weren't made. Um, and I think this is a good segue into overall, like, what does Pride Month mean, right? And I know we kind of touched on it in the beginning, but from, from my standpoint as someone who is uh, heterosexual, someone who have many friends that identify in, in one way or another, or somewhere on the spectrum of the LGBTQIA community, um, and I know, at least from my you know, viewpoint, I'm curious what y'all say as well, is that it really goes back to you know, reflecting on what are you doing to protect and promote the rights of those that have their rights being violated, um, but at the same time, ensuring that you are creating an environment, regardless of what that environment looks like, whether it's your home, your, uh, your house, your home housing, um, a work or a school or, or, or et cetera, you're creating that, that space where people feel comfortable. And, and, and that, that's really what it comes back down to me because I know that my sister for a very long time wasn't comfortable. I know for a very long time there was friction in my family because people couldn't, couldn't see past decisions or couldn't see past what they didn't, what they didn't agree with. And to me, it always goes back to a place of love. Like, that's just where my mindset comes from. So I may not agree with your decisions. I may not do what you're doing. I may not, uh, you know, think about it in the same fashion. And I'm not just talking about uh, um, the LGBT community. I mean, just in general, mean, anything. But I could still fight for you, right? I I could still uplift you. I could still moat you. I I could still make sure you're safe and you're okay, even though I may not even like you, agree with you overall, because I still, you know, at least try my best to come from a place of love. Uh, So when we think about Pride Month, you know, what does that mean to you all from your perspective, given your experiences and how you all self-identify?
2: I would say that uh, for right now, it's a time to like celebrate um, and acknowledge, um, you know, not only the Black community but the the Afro queer or Black trans and queer people that was came before us or even now um, that have pushed for the movement, um, like Gladys Bentley or Bayard Rustin james baldwin um and the list continues um and famously known there's barbara jordan there's marsha p johnson um there's miss major griffin gracie there's a ton of different folk who were who who were lgbtq who are lgbtq Uh, and Black and make that intersection possible and make it visible. And so I think during Pride Month and with Juneteenth um, coming right around the corner tomorrow, um, it just gives us time to celebrate and acknowledge um, the growth and the success that we've seen all the way back to where we couldn't even, we couldn't vote, we couldn't sit in a a restaurant with white people or other brown people. and it, it just gives us time to look back at our history and acknowledge uh, the fact that we made it so far. And I, and I was telling uh, on, with AC, with, I was doing this thing with uh, ACC and I had told them the reason why I love um, Juneteenth and Pride Month um, is because I get to wear my Afro and get to acknowledge the stripes on the rainbow flag at the same time and have that visibility um, and be able to announce to others that I am here and that my community, um, the queer community, the LGBTQ community and the black community, that we are here as a whole and that there shouldn't be um, a division of such. Um, And just seeing um, the beautiful strides that are still being made um, by women, by transgender women like, Andrea Jenkins, who was the first openly transgender black woman elected to the public office. Um, or like uh, Willie, Willie Nin, Ninja, I hope I said her name right. Um, and many other people um, like Lori Lightfoot, who continue to break those barriers and you know stand up for queer uh, trans people of color and and make sure that we are still having the opportunities that we deserve. Um, and that is needed in our communities.
1: Yeah, I would say, um, I think, especially this month, right, where if I think about last year, uh,
0: how we, we were
1: focused on the celebration mainly from and when I actually when I'm talking about what I remember, what I remember is preparing for Pride Month inside of the ERG at the job without with the understanding that Juneteenth was in June, but Pride Month is for the PRISM. uh, PRISM is our um, LGBT plus ERG. But this year because of because of everything going on there is a more intentional focus on the intersection where we're bringing what was traditionally a non-black and brown space overlapping with what has traditionally been a non-non-brown and black space right and so in, in at least in in the I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna call out my company as a, as, a special, as a special case, but we don't necessarily have a strong presence of Black people who self-identify as being members of prison community. And then the same way, I, inside of Inspire, which is the Black group, we don't have anyone who is self-identifying as LGBT+, right? So, so in both spaces, those individuals are silent and invisible. But in this case, and, and I think you said it well, Grant, um, in this case, we are able to see that pride and blackness, right? Pride and Juneteenth go together and the people for whom, it rep- the people who represent that intersection in body are celebrated, right? Because those are two groups separately that have been disenfranchised and, and uh, disproportionately attacked. But in this case, that group as, as an intersection uh, is celebrated more. So hopefully, I'm, I'm hopeful that coming out of this discussion, there's that continued elevation of voice of all groups inside of their own demographics, right? Because we each especially when you start at least the way we've got it set up, when you start talking about a black employee network, then it's my responsibility to elevate the voices of black employees. Is it my responsibility to elevate the voices of a diverse group of black employees, right? That is where I think um that is where I think the maturity is available to us. So that we can start talking about okay, Prism's um, ex- uh, responsibility is to elevate the voices of the LGBT plus community in diversity of race and ethnicity, of religion, of um, what else? I think we're we're kicking into uh, I don't know I don't know how you talk about different 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 mental abilities. I'm, I'm not. I don't know how we talk about people with ADHD and the like yet. Um, I'm, not, I'm not articulate on that point. But I know that that concept right, of people who have some uh, experience that makes their lives potentially uh, uh, more difficult because of discrimination, um, all of these groups are coalescing around the idea that the intersection supports everybody. Um, but we'll see, man. You know, the thing is, um, there's still a whole lot of people out there who don't want other people to have equal rights. And that's the thing I think that always confuses me. Um, I, can, I can make myself understand why you, may, like, and I, you know, why you may not like me. I get it. Okay, you don't like I'm black. Fine. But why are you bothering me? Just let me be, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not in your shit. Uh, and I, I think that comes back to this concept of scarcity. And if you have more rights, I have less rights. But that would mean that rights are somehow um, uh, not fully available or can run out, right? Uh, so we'll see, we will see there's a lot of hope, but then there's also a whole lot of, (laughs) yeah, we'll see.
0: Uh, Yeah. And that'll, that'll be a good segue for our next podcast that we do. And we'll make sure to add a topic just around human rights, because I completely agree with you, Donald, that it really goes back to rights. And I think people don't understand that you could disagree with someone, but that's, Person still has human rights. Like I I don't, I don't understand how we like we we decide to change that for whatever reason. And then that's why I go back to: Is it spiritual? Is it religion? And is it is it what we're taught? You know, is it just overall our internal biases? And we could kind of break that down into a a deeper conversation. But to your point, Donald, I too have hope. Uh, We have a long journey uh, to overall uplift. Um, all underserved communities, and I'm not just talking about the black and Hispanic community. I'm not just talking about the LGBTQIA community. I'm talking about those that are rural communities, talking about the elderly population, talking about those that are homeless, right? There are so many underserved communities that we have, we have decided, you know, should not have certain human rights only because we want to. Um, and we, as in those that are privileged. Uh, But that's a whole nother conversation for another time. And on that note, we're going to close out of Culture Crawl ATX podcast. We thank you so much for listening. And we ask that you take this time to follow Culture Crawl ATX on Instagram and click that like button and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform.